This is an RNZ podcast. Welcome to Ototahi Christchurch. We come to you live this morning from the Canterbury Earthquake National Memorial here on the banks of Otakaro, the Avon River. It is February 22nd, of course, and on this day, 10 years ago, exactly, this city and the lives of so many people in it changed forever. That terrible earthquake, 185 lives lost. That was John Campbell opening TVNZ's breakfast show before dawn last Monday at the memorial to those who died on that day 10 years earlier in Christchurch. It took years to agree on the memorial's design and even more to build it, making it something of a symbol to the recovery of the city that's still a work in progress. In the years after the quake, John Campbell himself dedicated many hours of airtime to the problems with housing, insurance and indecision in the city, at times turning the TV3 show that bore his own name into a venue for Christchurch people to vent, quite literally in the case of Campbell Live's Caravan of Complaint. Now he's at TBNZ, but last Monday John Campbell was still going into bat for people still in housing limbo in Christchurch. And that is still happening with IAG. We're going to call them and see how they're going with it and why it's taking so long. This is a kind of hell of repetition. It will be familiar to so many people in the city. And on Monday, John Campbell was also giving a voice to those still striving for a resolution to the CTV building disaster, such as Mayin Alkazi, whose wife, Maysoon, died there working as a doctor. Ten years of injustice. This is the message I would like to send. And while John Campbell's work as a journalist made a difference in Christchurch, Anne Bodkin told John Campbell in last Monday's special that she credited an Australian reporter with her survival in the PGC building 10 years earlier. It is a special place for the New South Wales rescue team and Simon Boda, the reporter who actually heard me when the generators were turned off because without them I don't think I would be here today. Now, many other journalists also went above and beyond the call of duty on the day of the quake and after the quake too, as we'll hear today. But when John Campbell handed back to the studio at TBNZ1 last Monday morning, his co-host Jenny May Clarkson told the viewers this. Good morning to you all. And we are focusing on Christchurch this morning. Our show will be predominantly based out of Christchurch. We make no apologies for that. We focus on a city that is... But why would they apologise for making a milestone anniversary out of such a major event? Well, possibly because some people elsewhere around the country may not have a great appetite for that anymore. And even some of those in Christchurch who lived through the quake themselves may have dreaded what John Campbell called the hell of repetition there when it comes to the sights, sounds and memories of it all over again in the media. For example, that same morning, RNZ's Morning Report asked former CTV staffer Tom Hawker for his recollections after seven and they ended up in the news bulletin after eight. He told Morning Report the day is still hard to comprehend. Mr Hawker says initially the building seemed fine. And then I noticed on the first level glass shatter outwards looked up at the second top story of the CTV building and noticed cracking on the external pillar and then um, that shattered outwards and crushed the rest of the building below. And immediately after that bulletin, a promo played for Checkpoint, which harvested a startling survival story that the show had aired on the Friday. I know you won't say it, but it was an amazingly brave thing to do, to crawl in there in the dark in a confined space with a knife and a hacksaw and perform a double amputation. Checkpoint with me, Lisa Owen.
Well, that's startling, certainly, but some people told us here at Media Watch they didn't like the way that stuff like that was amplified for the anniversary again. So what approach to take then, and what tone to adopt, is a tricky one for the media and the individual journalists covering the anniversary. Some people say we must never forget, while others just don't want to remember. So later, we'll ask one Christchurch journalist who lived through it ten years ago how he approached the task of summing things up ten years on. But this, of course, isn't a new problem. It comes up every year. When I went to Christchurch before the first anniversary to see how the media were managing back in 2012, it was on a lot of journalists' minds back then, and among them Amanda Crop, an experienced news reporter from Christchurch who'd put her own feelings into words in a book called Shaken, Not Stirred. You know, quite a lot of the time we kind of get ignored down here to a certain extent, um, but I do find it kind of patronising that they feel the need to bring newsreaders down to stand in the middle of the CBD in the red zone to deliver the news. I don't know, it just really annoys me. And I was on a red zone tour um, in late August and there was a TVNZ van going around scouting the best location to do um, a stand-up. And you could just knew that there was going to be nice, some nice, sober-suited newsreader standing in the right place in the CBD delivering the news. And I'm kind of over that. Amanda Crop, then a freelance writer, currently the Business Bureau Chief in Christchurch for Stuff. Now that same day, back in 2012, TV3 reporter Jeff Hampton was at the broadcaster's temporary headquarters at Addington Raceway and he was trawling through hours of previously unbroadcast footage from the quake for a special anniversary programme. I think it's really important. I think people would feel they were being ignored if we didn't cover it. And I think it's really important that we've got to keep ourselves in the news. And I feel that the news media played a vital role in the early days after the earthquake in getting help coming to Christchurch. And I think the images that we were sending out was part of that. And I feel it was really important so that the city wouldn't be ignored. From our point of view, we're a national media, so... The way we do things will be different from the way the press, the local newspaper, will do it. I would expect they will have very little apart from memorial stories. We are planning quite major coverage, but we are trying not to be too mawkish about it. Reporter Jeff Hampton quit TV3 just before the fifth anniversary of the quake in 2016, and he lamented at that time the hollowing out of broadcast news in the city after 2011. Well, as Jeff said there, the local paper, The Press, did things differently for the local audience the first time round, with a much more memorial focus for its anniversary edition. And the heavy lifting for that was done by a young reporter who was just weeks into her career when the quake hit. Just after 1pm on um, Tuesday, the 22nd of February, um, we've just been hit by a devastating earthquake in Christchurch again. I'm one of the reporters from the press building. I was upstairs when it hit. Along with videographer Daniel Tobin, Olivia Carville, who was then a 22-year-old reporter, escaped her own wrecked building to report vividly from the shattered CBD. And for the first anniversary, she put her hand up to profile and interview the relatives of everyone who died for a comprehensive memorial publication. And the following year, she did it again. Well, four years later, Olivia Carville was gone, working at the Toronto Star newspaper in Canada, where she wrote a personal piece about the conflicting emotions of the anniversaries and how reporting them each year had taken a toll on her. Back in New Zealand, ahead of the fifth anniversary in 2016, she told me all about that on RNZ National. 
I feel a, a lot of emotions around the anniversary of the earthquake. It's never been something I've enjoyed. For anniversary days, they draw you back to the moment. For that memoriam tribute, I reached out to all 185 families. So ever since, I have felt a real connection to February 22. And working as a journalist at, at the press at the time, a, a lot of your coverage is centred around the earthquake. And it still is now. And it was just that daily reminder. You know, you'd, you'd walk into work and you'd just see um, buildings coming down or, or empty lots where buildings used to be. I'd go to certain spots around the city and I'd just remember what I saw that day and I didn't know how to get away from that. So I thought it was best to just leave for a while. And um, a lot of my work kind of centred around the earthquake and every year the anniversary rolled around and it would be, you know, which family should I reach out to now? And I just wanted to try and break away from that and go somewhere where that didn't follow me. I mean, no one knew about the earthquake or that day or the memoriam tribute. Former reporter at the press in Christchurch, Olivia Carville, talking to me just before the fifth anniversary of the Christchurch quake back in 2016. Now, she was a junior reporter with the press back on February the 22nd, 2011, when, with one staffer dead and others still trapped in their own building, they heroically got a paper out for the next day. The editor back then was Andrew Holden, who's now the weekly media commentator on Nine to Noon. And last Tuesday, he said that many of the press's people from that day marked the anniversary last Monday at the empty site of their former headquarters in Cathedral Square. A privilege really to be back and then I came down to uh, about 50 people from the press. We just gathered uh, in front of where our building used to be that's now a car park and we just spent um, our little time there just to catch up and render so it was a... um it was a good day in that respect, as, as good as it can be when it's so tough. While the press carried on after the quake in porter cabins at their printing plant near the airport, Canterbury's local TV station CTV became synonymous with the disaster because 115 people died in the building that bears its name, including several of its own staff. At the time, it was assumed that the quake had also killed off the channel, but it didn't. It was up again and running within weeks. And on the fifth anniversary of the Christchurch quake, CTV broadcast live from the site where their colleagues had died. Welcome back to our CTV News special, again coming to you live from the former CTV site here in Madras Street. I just want to address what's going on behind us. Uh, tribute is taking place at the moment. There's been speeches, there have been songs. However, in the five years since then, CTV changed hands, went online only and eventually closed down as a live operation. Now, as we heard earlier, how and why its substandard HQ was built in the first place is still an open question, and that was the subject of a confronting podcast series called Collapse by the press's publisher Stuff, released to mark this anniversary. Later that afternoon, Edge found himself at the CTV site. He did not like what he saw. The organisation was uh, shit. Herbie held the loudest, got the most response. I actually thought it was a bloody joke. In Collapse, over six parts, Margaret Gordon and Michael Wright explore why the calls for justice endure today. RNZ also put out a six-part podcast for the anniversary called Fragments, which is based on first-hand accounts and interviews with people at the time of the quake and now, again, ten years later. Producer Katie Gossett, a journalist in Christchurch ten years ago, said this on Morning Report about the anniversary. It is an important day. Um, some of the people that we've spoken to you know, we'll mark it in different ways. Some people will go to the service, some won't. I've spoken to people for years about the earthquake and I know that some of them, I know, of, you know, some people, one woman who was injured always spends it at home just with her family. Um, others 
want to come out and be part of a communal experience. Some people don't, you know, want to go anywhere near it. Uh, it's and, and actually, some people say they always feel a bit anxious and a bit nervous, but they know the day will pass and then, um, you know, then it's over. And um, and I'm also thinking that I really need to go back and restock my water and, and my emergency supplies, all the things that have kind of lapsed a little bit. And the likelihood of it happening again was the focus of an editorial that was in the form of an open letter that the press published on the fifth anniversary of the quake. Back then, the paper urged other New Zealanders to stay interested in and engaged with the city's recovery, and it ended with a warning. This disaster will not be the last to hit this country. The chance of a quake in another part of the country is high. Every individual business and policy maker needs to be ready to cope with a disaster of this scale. And the press was right. Within a couple of years, the Kaikoura quake struck, and after that, Christchurch was tested by terrorism on March the 15th, 2019, something it never could have expected. In its special supplement last Monday, under the headline, 10 Years Telling Our Quake Stories, the current editor of the press, Kamala Heyman, wrote this. It is a day to stop and bow our heads. But today is also the day to reflect on how far we have come and look to the future. Despite our losses, battles with bureaucracy and the dusty, noisy disruption of rebuilding, we have much to celebrate. We have much to look forward to. But that said, she also registered citizens' intense disappointment at all the unresolved issues, such as the so-called anchor projects and the rebuild, which are still incomplete. And what has been rebuilt and what hasn't over the past decade was the focus of another multimedia production from the press, a series called Munted, released on the 10th anniversary of the first Canterbury quake back in October 2010. We are now one decade on from the devastating earthquake that struck Christchurch in February 2011 and killed 185 people. A memorial to those we lost was seen as a crucial element of the rebuild blueprint that was imposed by the government on the city in 2012. Yet somehow the city has ended up with three memorials. And this week, press reporter Philip Matthews added a special final episode of Munted for this week's anniversary to bring everything up to date. Jerry Brownlee, MP for Ireland for 24 years, also seemed like a permanent feature on the skyline. He dominated the national government's management of the earthquake recovery and rebuild and was a polarising figure. But if you thought you had a bad 2020, Brownlee had an even worse one. Now, the Munted series was billed as a personal perspective on the past 10 years, so given that opportunity, what did Philip Matthews think were the important issues to highlight? 10 years is an obvious one to mark, but I was surprised actually at the level of national coverage this time and the kind of reverence or almost kind of, um, yeah, I guess reverence or almost kind of sacred quality of the coverage, if you know what I mean. It seemed to have much more of a sort of a seriousness about it than I'd seen in previous years. And it was quite, you know, respectful and um, shied away from the politics largely and covered, the, I guess, the tragedy uh, in a way, and um, so I was kind of pleasantly surprised by it, I think. A year after, um, as we heard earlier, for example, Amanda Cropp, she was saying, look, I'm kind of over it. She didn't really like 
TV crews coming down looked, looked like they were scouting backdrops. Um, she felt there was danger it could be patronising. On the other hand, Jeff Hampton, uh, then of TV3, was saying, no, no, look, Christchurch can be ignored and it's really important that we do this and that the nation sees it. Is that the essential conflict here, that there is still national interest in it, but of course, you know, uh, it's it's at the local level where the feelings are more intense? It's interesting that because it's easy to feel both things both of those feelings simultaneously, and I've, I have felt both of those points of view. I can agree with Amanda that sometimes it seemed like journalists would fly in like it's a war zone and as though we're Beirut and they'd stand in front of the most bombed-up building they could find or ruined building, uh, you know, then stay for two days, wear their flak jackets, take off again. On the other hand, it's important to bring those stories to national attention, and I remember what it was like when... Campbell Live was left as the only national media outlet or show still covering Christchurch, and you'd see John standing in his in his waders in some flooded, silt-covered street in East Christchurch, and you'd sense that the rest of the country would be going, come on, get over it, we've had enough of this, three mm. or four years on. And then again, you know, even people, even people I know well who live in other cities would, would come down here or they would watch things on TV and they would go, I can't believe it was like this. I can't believe this happened. And I think, well, where have you been? You know, so... <laughs> odd, odd little contrast, I felt, because um, later in the day we had uh, the event of the, the T20 International at Hagley Park, which TVNZ covered free-to-air. And that was preceded with a little video where Christchurch-based cricketers talked about their memories of the day um, if they experienced the quake and then it was very positive as they moved out there saying so the city's being rebuilt it's great new buildings they were all very positive it was quite a different tone uh, to munted this place here is a wonderful facility to come out of it and it's celebrated by Cantabrians now they flock down to the cricket for the cricket to be here at the uh, Hagley Oval, which was the first of the anchor projects to be completed. It's pretty special that uh, this game is being played here on the on the 22nd of February. Yeah, the one's interesting because you know Hagley Oval is one of the, um, I guess one of the projects. It wasn't really a blueprint project. It got absorbed into the government's blueprint rebuild scheme. There's been times when a match at Hagley Oval has coincided with the anniversary and people who don't want to dwell on the negativity and uh, the destruction and so on have said, oh, look, I'd rather be at the cricket. I'll... So there's this real contrast between a day at the cricket and going and wallowing or m- remembering the, uh, the disaster and the people who were lost. Well, one thing very specifically that a, a couple of Christchurch residents got in touch with us about was that they don't like on the anniversary day the kind of morsalisation, if I can put it like that, of people's stories, like news clips of people who went through it 10 years ago remembering. Are you surprised that people would complain about that or, or is that a typical or perhaps understandable reaction from people in Christchurch? No, I think it's a very typical response. I think there's a feeling people get where they find that re-traumatising or triggering. People I know well who still won't go into parts of the city even if they weren't there on the day, they were in the suburbs. But even seeing a ruined building makes them think of you know, all those lives lost and everything that happened. I think that's a really common thing. Well, that thing of and, trying to pick out the most dramatic thing someone has said and stick it in the news or stick it in a promo or a trailer, you know, is it that what get, could get up people's noses? I think so. I think when, when we made Munted, we, um, 
we showed very little of the the day of the earthquake for that reason. But then again, other other people, I don't know if you've heard the stuff podcast Collapse mm-hmm. by Michael Wright and Mark Greenhill, which is a deep dive into the rescue and, and those stories. And it's pretty harrowing stuff. And, you know, I know people who think, look, I, I'm not ready for that. It's been 10 years. I don't know when you would be ready if 10 years is too soon. But, um, you know, that's an understandable reaction. I mean, you yeah. were given the opportunity to do a personal perspective on the 10 years since uh, a great opportunity for someone like you I imagine but also like ah oh, you know where, where just, so how did you decide what were the important things to focus on that you would have wanted people to know about the 10 years that's passed since you know the October 2010 and, and February 22nd quake yeah that's right we did munt it as a kind of a self-contained series of seven that came out in September and then then we thought not long after that and, it, and it, the response I think it was it was more than I expected, um, both in terms of how many people saw it and what they said about it. So we sat down, Charlie Gates, who made, we made it together, me and Charlie, um, sat down and thought about whether we should do a bonus episode uh, for the anniversary and what we would say and what we hadn't covered. And for me, the uh, it's focused largely on the memorials, the contrast between the three different earthquake memorials in the city. One is the official one, which is the big government project. One is the old CTV site itself, which got tidied up a couple of years ago. And one is this kind of much more of a kind of a maverick art installation of 185, actually 186, I think, white empty chairs that's moved around three different sites. Um, So I felt that in contrasting these three projects, you could illustrate a bigger story about how we remember and how these projects come to us. They come to us either from the government top down, decided by a committee, or they come up from the community in some way. And what what does that say about how the people of Christchurch have, have felt they've been treated, I suppose, over the 10 years since the quake? Where it all began really is Charlie Gates finding this around 200 hours of footage shot by press videographers over those 10 years and he went through, you know, painstakingly. And we looked at interesting moments, but they're often also funny moments that we thought revealed revealed something about the personalities of the key players, but also could act as a kind of revenge for the people watching it. So the people who... <laughs> look, Jerry Brownlee became the central figure of it, of course. So people I think he's in every he, single episode. He's in every episode. Yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing about episode eight is uh, the last one that just came out is we are able to follow his, his journey his journey right to the end uh, when he gets voted out of Ilam. But the, so moments like, to me, the classic is John Key and Brownlee standing at some dedication of a memorial and it starts to rain and Key very suavely gets out his umbrella, puts it up and, and offers it to Leanne Dalzell, the mayor, while Brownlee's standing there waiting for someone, waiting for Nicky Wagner to open one to cover him with. Right, so the, these two—it's—it's it's a great visual gag, um, and I'm probably not doing it justice trying to explain it, but it's—it's a—it's a, quite a funny illustration of these two different people, and also how they—not—not not just how they were, but how they were perceived in Christchurch. We perceived John Key as this person who would fly down every so often, like a the kind of dad you see on weekends who comes in with a whole lot of gifts and and takes you out for a nice meal and he's he's your he's your dad that you you know but he's not your full-time dad and Brownlee is this kind of figure who he was someone we just we just grew to kind of resent as a population I think the new regime hasn't done much hasn't advanced 
the anchor projects much. Um, there wasn't a lot of building going on in the city still, and the really big anchor projects, the stadium, the Metro Sports Centre, the Convention Centre, are still not completed. And so people, Brownlee will, and with and he's right to do this, will look at that. Will look at what Megan Woods and what Labour have been doing since 2017, and and saying, well. Where's your progress? And he's, you know, he's just he's justified in saying that. My mind also go back goes back to uh, sitting in the one of the porter cabins that the press had to move to um, a year after the quake, uh, working out by the printing plant, uh, chatting to Martin Van Bainen, where he kind of lamented that the press had become, in his words, you know, inevitably and appropriately, I suppose, a one-issue newspaper. Does it still feel a bit like that? That you know that dominates your thinking, or is it more like background noise now, an incomplete project? But it doesn't doesn't necessarily feel like a a one issue profession anymore. Yeah, it's definitely background noise now. I don't think um, for those first few years everything was the earthquake um, and and the politics of it and Sarah and all of that stuff. Now I think other issues that have emerged from, say, the mosque shooting, you know, which is every bit as important. And there's a lot of other things. I think it is background noise, and I think the lack of progress means you can't you can't be in there day in day out. What we were seeing and what we were doing was pretty hardcore and potentially pretty damaging at a kind of psychic level or an emotional level, and that becomes physical stress as well. We also all had our own stuff to deal with. We all had our own houses that were falling down, and our kids who were upset and their schools have been closed or whatever, you know. So it was, wasn't like you're a journalist and that's that's all you are. You're also living this life in this place with these people too. So it was definitely um, pretty tough and it burnt a lot of people out and there's probably only a handful now of people left at the press from those times, I think, still at it. Martin be one of them, I'd be one of them, Charlie, a couple of others. And finally, Philip... Um Will you do it again? Do you think it'll be another anniversary, um, month of year 20, something like that? Something like that. Maybe in another 10 years. Yeah, I think I, I joke about this and and um, Charlie sort of looks worried, but I kind of say, you know, maybe in 10 years when they've finished the cathedral that they're supposed to have finished in 10 years, we'll come back from out of retirement and um, who knows, it may not even be video, maybe some other thing. We might beam it directly into people's heads or whatever we're doing in 10 years, you know, or... or um, some other technology, and uh, complete the story, we hope. Okay, so still munted after all these years, an AI munted. virtual experience. Or, or po- post-munted, we could call post-munted, it. Post-munted, yes. Yeah. Hopefully it won't be munted after all those <laughs> that's years. What we, we'll that's see. what we hope. Philip Matthews there, senior journalist at the Press in Christchurch, and who, along with Charlie Gates, was the producer of Munted, an eight-part multimedia series on Christchurch ten years after the quakes. You can find that online at stuff.co.nz, on Stuff's video-on-demand service, Play Stuff, or on YouTube. Stuff's podcast series on the CTV building, Collapse, and RNZ's podcast Fragments, you can find wherever you get your podcasts.